This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. Have you gotten your COVID bivalent vaccine yet? We learned early this past week the take-up for people over 60 has been low. But many people may be waiting five months between vaccine doses. So if you got a fourth shot in the summer, you may not be planning to get the new bivalent booster until December. Dr. Fahad Razak at St. Michael's Hospital is the former scientific director of Ontario's now defunct COVID-19 science advisory table. Interestingly, Libby found out from Dr. Fahad Razak this past Monday, the wait between doses should be much less than five months. So the interval is a minimum of three months between your last shot, which for many people, as you said, is their fourth shot during the summer, or infection. So if you did, if you were infected at some point during the summer or into the fall, it would be three months after that. The reason why we say wait three months is that there seems to be some benefit for your immune system to have that period to recover from the last booster or from the last infection, and then be strong and ready to respond to the new trigger when you get that uh, booster shot. And so if you push that too close together, you won't get probably as much benefit from your immune response. And there is some question about waiting longer than three months. That's that's okay. But because there's a lot of COVID circulating now, I think it would be quite reasonable to be close to that three-month mark. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, that was the next question because a lot of us were told or had recommendations earlier that, you know what, yeah, you could get it earlier, but waiting five months is even better. Yeah, so this is going into some of the nuance of the science. I have to say... We don't have great evidence around this now because we're talking about a situation where you're having different kinds of vaccines, you're having infections layered on top, um, and then, of course, the effect of risk categories like being older in age or having an underlying health condition. I would say for most people, the reasonable window is somewhere in that three to six month mark. You go closer to three months if you are more likely to be exposed. So let's say you have young children, grandchildren or children who are going to be in the home and bring it in with them or you're at a, at a job that means that you're encountering a lot of people and many of them are not wearing a mask, you may be close to that three-month mark, or you have an underlying health condition, absolutely, then close to the three-month mark. If you have none of those things and you feel like you want to wait a little bit, then you could go closer towards the six months. So there's not an exact answer there, and that's really a question to you know probably talk through with your primary health care provider. Okay, let's uh, move along to flu shots. So first of all, can you get the flu shot and uh, and the vaccine on, on the same day in the same sitting? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, I did. I got both of mine on the same day. Um, yeah, your arm may be a little bit more sore if they both go into the same arm. Um, but there's no, <clears throat> there's no reason from the perspective of your immune system or from the protection you get that they have to be separated. Um, I would say right now, if you have not received the flu vaccine, it is clearly surging. Uh, it should be a priority to go out there right away and get it because we call a flu season starting when you have more than 5% of the tests coming back positive. We're approaching 15%. So we are in the midst of a flu season. 
uh, on the medical wards for the first time in a couple of years. I'm admitting patients with flu. I, I used to admit a lot of it. Then during the pandemic, we had almost none, and now we're seeing it again. So this would definitely be very important. And of course, keep your COVID vaccines up to date. So definitely some urgency towards going on, especially to get that flu vaccine right now. Just to sum up, what are you telling people? We are in a very tough winter season. I think you probably most people are tired of hearing from people like me saying crisis challenges. But, you know, unfortunately, we are heading into uh, the winter with already a pretty significant surge of influenza, a lot of COVID floating around, and you're seeing the stress on our pediatric hospitals right now. So this is a very tough winter. We are, this is going to be a very tough winter. We have not faced something like this in Canada because the last couple of years while we were suppressing COVID, these other two infections weren't really circulating. RSV especially can make older individuals sick. I admit uh, older individuals with RSV every year. So it is a virus that you have to be cautious around for older, both the older and younger population in the province. So do what you can. The public health measures that we've always talked about will continue to help you. A good quality mask. If you can wear a respirator, great. At least a surgical mask. Hand hygiene is really valuable for some of these other viruses, things like RSV and influenza. Keeping your vaccines up to date is going to be really important. And then just be cautious in your gatherings. We're entering the holiday season. If someone is sick, it's a really good idea. They don't come and join a big gathering of your family or friends because this can spread very quickly. I know that is uh, not what you want to hear in a festive season. But again, I would say we have limited options and you have to do everything you can to protect your family, uh, your community and our health system. Dr. Fahad Razak, internist at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto and former scientific director of Ontario's defunct COVID-19 advisory table. This is the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. On Tuesday, the same day Prime Minister Justin Trudeau first spoke with China's president at the G20 summit, there was a published story on Chinese interference in Canada's political system. It's alleged that a bunch of unidentified politicians took money from China and they had staffers infiltrating some political offices. Joining Libby to discuss... Fightback's Recovering Politicians panel. Howard Hampton is a former Ontario NDP leader. John Malloy is a former Ontario Liberal cabinet minister. And Hugh Siegel is a former Canadian senator. I think there's a, there's a pattern here. And the pattern is one that I would refer to as willful denial. In other words, um, I know of at least one or two conservative candidates who ran for parliament in the last general election who were absolutely certain that agents of the Chinese government were involved either in affecting the Chinese-Canadian vote in their riding or using Chinese-language social media to work against them and, uh, and have said so publicly. Um, it was poo-pooed. Uh, I think CSIS, if you can imagine, said there was really no evidence of any RCM, any, any rather, any Chinese infiltration into our electoral process. Even though, thanks to the new federal government, we have legislation that is very clear that on national security matters, our security agencies have the right to engage proactively to prevent bad things from happening. And if you look at this, and if you look at the unbelievable story of all the OPP intelligence that nobody in the Ottawa police read with respect to the Freedom Convoy before it arrived, 
you just get the sense that the mindset is to look the other way. Well, I think this story tells us all there's a price to pay. And look, if the Chinese believe that we are easily penetrated and overrun by their agents, it's our job to prove that they're wrong. And that's not what the government appears to be doing. John Malloy, uh, is there a partisan aspect to this? Well, I mean, part of the problem you have when you, you talk about these issues is we have no idea what uh, the internal intelligence looks like on this. Um, you know, you're always between a rock and a hard place because there's aspects of the story that the federal government might be onto that might be following up with, which uh, they can't disclose. And so they're in a they're in a very very rough situation because there's obviously great media scrutiny and attention. At the same time, they may be limited in what they can talk about because it's a it's a national security issue. There is a flip side to this. I mean, let's all not be naive. Uh, uh, China's the, the largest market uh, around. We all want to maintain good ties with China. Uh, part of our economy is tied to that. Part of our economic future is tied to that. So, you know, it, it really is a, walking a tightrope that you want to follow up on these and, and take action. But at the same time, they have to think about Canada's uh, national interest. I think the third thing, just to pick up maybe a little bit on what Hugh was saying, which I always think is, 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 is sort of amusing, is I think in some ways Canadians don't believe that we would ever be a target. You know, where that's, that's something that would happen in the United States, not in good old little old Canada that, that's sort of sitting a, at the side. So I think this is a bit of a wake-up call that, that, that we're on their, their radar screen. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't see it as a big partisan issue. I mean, we don't know what, what, what's going on internally with the federal government. And they, in fact, might be uh, frustrated with, uh, with some of the press coverage because it's not getting capturing the whole picture. Howard, do you agree? Not a partisan issue. And, and uh, how serious do you think it is? I, I think it's quite serious. But Let's recognize something. I mean, China has several strategies. Some of them are soft power strategies. Some of them are hard power strategies. And some of them are subtle strategies to increase their influence around the world. You know, what they're doing, I think, is, you know, is to look back over the last hundred years and say, well, you know, how has the United States conducted itself, if, for example, in Central and South America, where if the United States wanted to get rid of a government, they did. And there are many examples of that. Uh, I think they also look at you know how Britain conducted itself in terms of the British Empire. So we shouldn't be surprised at this. Uh, this is very much a wake-up call. Howard Hampton, former Ontario NDP leader. John Malloy, a former Ontario Liberal cabinet minister. And Hugh Siegel is a former Canadian senator. Fight Back's Recovering Politicians panel. The day after this conversation, China's president confronted Prime Minister Justin Trudeau at the G20 summit and said through an interpreter it was not appropriate that their conversation from the day before had been shared with the media. Trudeau told Xi Jinping in an exchange captured on video that he will always be frank, clear, and open about any discussions they have. Trudeau has also made it clear that experts determined Canada's 2019 and 2021 federal elections unfolded in the proper way. Trudeau says he raised the issue of interference with our citizens and expressed to Xi Jinping the importance of continued dialogue on the matter. 
You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, where should you invest your money during this volatile time? And whose advice should you be following? We discuss next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Year-end is coming up, and for many, that is a time to make critical investment decisions. And there's a very different climate this year with carnage on the markets and higher interest rates. Where will you get your information on investing? According to a poll by the Financial Services Regulatory Authority of Ontario, 68% of respondents say they were getting investment financial advice from the Internet, also word of mouth and social media. Libby spoke with Joel Gorlick about this. He is the Director of Policy Market Conduct for the Financial Services Regulatory Authority of Ontario. The Financial Services Regulatory Authority is focused on protecting and empowering consumers. We have a very strong consumer protection mandate. We want to encourage all consumers to take the time to make sure they're informed when they're going to be trusting someone with their hard-earned savings. So this research was a way for us to get a snapshot of how consumers approach investing, who are they listening to, what sources are they going to, like you said. And given that we are hearing that 7 in 10 people are getting their financial advice through the Internet, through social media, We thought it was a great opportunity, this being Financial Literacy Month, to encourage people to ask the right questions. Uh, Earlier this year, we put into place standards for anyone who uses the titles financial planner or financial advisor. The idea behind that is to give consumers confidence that when they speak to somebody who uses those titles, those people are accountable for their conduct, they have a minimum standard of education, and they're actually working in your interest. Uh, you know, when I look at this, I got to shake my head. Social media, I mean, every day, all kinds of media is full of stories about all the misinformation on social media. So, uh, I mean, what's up with that? I mean, the way that people digest and get their information has changed, obviously, and people can be influenced by a 30-second uh, TikTok video as much as they can be by advice from a neighbor or a friend. I think that's why it's all the more important that we encourage people to do their research uh, people spent more time, as you saw in the survey, researching their last cell phone purchase than they did the person they talked to about their uh, their financial advice. So we just want to encourage people to to do their due diligence when they are going to talk to somebody who is a financial advisor or a financial planner about their savings to ensure that they know that that person is qualified uh, and is working in their interest. Yeah, I mean, that frankly is very scary TikTok videos. So uh, is there a demographic aspect to this? Uh, is it, I mean, I would assume younger people, there are more younger people on TikTok. Uh, is, is there a demographic aspect to getting your financial information from these sources? Well, the research isn't broken down completely demographically that way in terms of what age of people use what sources, but I would say uh, there are across different generations, people are, are, are getting their, their advice in different ways. I would say there are older people that are also going to be going online to get their advice and are going to want to work with somebody potentially with a robo-advisor just as much as younger people would. 
but at the same time, I think for anybody who's going to be investing, our advice would be make sure that the person uh, that you are getting your advice from is qualified, has a credential that allows them to use the financial planner or financial advisor title. Uh, and that way you will know that they will have to have met our, our criteria, our standards for minimum education, and that they are uh, going to put your interest first. Okay, that's if you're talking to an advisor, but uh, what about people who are doing their own research? And presumably those are the people who are on social media or whatever. What about them? What should they be doing or what should they be asking? Well, we certainly would encourage people to, if they are going to be investing their money, I, I think probably we would encourage people to to speak to somebody about what they are going to be doing as opposed to taking all of their advice from a source like social media uh, or on the internet, there's a lot of good advice to be had on the internet, but there's a lot of advice that may not be uh, from qualified individuals. I think we would always say do some research to find a person that you would trust to actually give you that advice. Right. But say, uh, for instance, when, when I'm thinking about something, I, I go on the internet, I you know, know how to look for trusted sources, but uh, for people who want to do their own, you know, their own research as opposed to talking to a person, what are you telling them? We would just say that if you are going to be doing research online and you're finding somebody to talk to about it, if they are using the title financial advisor or financial planner, a consumer can have confidence that that person has to have met the standards that FISRA, uh, that the Financial Services Regulatory Authority has set for people who want to use those titles. If they are not qualified to use those titles, then they are by law not permitted to use those titles anymore as of March of this year. Joel Gorlick, Director of Policy, Market Conduct for the Financial Services Regulatory Authority of Ontario. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. We got some early winter weather in the GTA this past Tuesday and Wednesday. And before that, there had been significant snowfall north of the GTA around Collingwood and Georgian Bay, as well as through Kitchener and Stratford. And the return of snow conditions means it's time to adjust our driving. The CAA, Toronto Police, OPP, Ministry of Transportation and City of Toronto are joining forces to present tips and reminders for driving safely this winter season. Libby was joined on Monday by Nadia Matos, External Communications for CAA South Central Ontario, and Sergeant Kerry Schmidt of the OPP Highway Safety Division. I was in Aurelia this morning, and uh, there's snow on the ground. And actually, it was interesting as I was coming down, lots of lots of water and slush on some of the lanes. I was getting my windshield all dirty from a spray from other vehicles. So washer fluid so important. And I also actually saw snow flying off of vehicles that had probably been parked up in Aurelia or someplace north of Barrie overnight, and it was blowing off. Uh, behind the vehicle, saw some big trucks with a big plume of white snow blowing off the top of the uh, roof there as it was getting up to speed. So, you know what? I can't believe it. We've had such an incredible uh, fall already, but winter is around the corner, and the temperatures are really telling us uh, this morning when I got up and got out onto the road. So far in southern Ontario, we've been uh, pretty fortunate. So uh, I can suspect that we're going to see a pretty big increase in vehicles uh, kissing each other on the road uh, once we get that first blast of snow and people are going to forget that their stopping distances are going to be longer and uh, visibility could be reduced. And, 
you know, we're going to see those problems and, and it's going to be before we know it. So this is the time to get prepared. Nadia Matus, what are your top winter driving tips? Well, right now, Libby, we recommend people do three things, and that is install a set of four matching winter tires because you need all the stability and traction that you can get over the coming winter months. Make sure that when you get those winter tires installed that you get your mechanic to check your car battery because you don't want to wake up on February on a Tuesday morning and realize your car battery is not going to make it and you, you're stuck somewhere. Um, and then the last thing is uh, we uh, want to encourage everybody to have an emergency kit in their back of their car because you're going to end up using an emergency in an emergency when you least expect it. So ensuring that you're safe ahead of time is going to be crucial for you to stay safe. And what should be in the emergency kit? Well, an emergency kit can have all sorts of things, like your basic things, like a, a a uh, shovel, and um, you can also have a canned candle, some warm, a warm blanket, you know, some non-perishable food items, but also things like kitty litter. You could also have that in your back car. Of course, we recommend tailoring the uh, emergency kit according to your destination. So if you're traveling far distances, you want to ensure that your emergency kit reflects that. Now, if you're going to the grocery store, not necessarily you're going to need all that kind of stuff, but making sure that you have an emergency kit there for your needs is going to be crucial. Carrie, uh, anything you'd like to leave us with? Well, you know what? We're going to be uh, into this winter weather soon enough and just uh, being prepared for it. We always talk about uh, being courteous on the road lane discipline, and having that awareness around you. We know how quickly traffic conditions can change, how quickly it can come to a grinding halt, and you need to slam on the brakes. But if you're slamming on the brakes and the roads are wet or slippery or icy, uh, you know your stopping distances will be extended. And uh, when we do get that first blast of snow, we're going to see all those uh, toes, uh, not toes, uh, but plow, toe plows, and uh, street sweepers and cleaners and, and uh, you know, pieces of equipment that are going to be out there keeping our highways clear. So give them space to do their job. They're clearing the highways. Again, avoid travel when we're in a snow event and wait until, you know, the conditions improve before you actually have, absolutely have to uh, head out onto the road. Let's make sure the highways are cleared and then get out and uh, go where you need to go if you need to be on the road. But obviously, have that awareness, look down the road, and just have your full headlighting system on, all kinds of things that we always talk about that we sometimes need to be reminded of and uh, get to your destination safely, but slow down and, and drive to those conditions. OPP Sergeant Carrie Schmidt and Nadia Matos of CAA South Central Ontario. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Shelly phoned from Thornhill during our segment on increased food bank use for more Canadians. 
I just wondered about uh, retail stores that sell food, food products, fresh and canned and frozen, and grocery stores, and what role do they play in providing um, stale-dated goods or getting near stale-dated, especially canned goods and frozen Mm -hmm. goods, because when I worked in that industry, it was thrown out. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week is Lena in Kitchener, who phoned during our segment on bivalent vaccines with Dr. Fahad Razak, the former director of the now-defunct COVID advisory table. I've had all my COVID vaccines. I'm 72, heading to 73. I've had all my COVID vaccines pretty much as soon as I could, including the Moderna bivalent as soon as it came out, within a week of it being um, open. And now I'm hearing about the Pfizer bivalent, which apparently targets what's really going around now much more than Moderna. So once my three months are up, am I eligible? Is it a good idea to get the Pfizer bivalent vaccine as well? You know, the situation with these vaccines is to get the best protection available to you now. There's definitely no agreement that one is better than the other. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.